Please get your Bibles out and get ready to follow along with me as I give you an overview of the book of Exodus, the 30th chapter, the 22nd through the 33rd verse. Exodus 30, 22 through 33. I want to, as way of introduction, I was reading and doing a personal study of the book of Exodus, and I came to Exodus chapter 30 and started to read about the anointing oil and the directive that God gave to Moses. And my memory immediately went to, when I was a child, a teenager, about your age and younger, when the elders of our church would come and lay hands on us and anoint us just before the school year started or at different times in what we used to call a family altar. We called it a family altar because everyone came to the altar. The deacons, the elders, the choir members, the moms and the dads. On Sunday night, we all came to the altar with one purpose in mind, to seek the face of Jesus. And I long for the days that we do that again. See, I'm old enough to remember when the altar was more popular than the coffee bar. And I love coffee, but I love the altar more. And my memory went to those times. To be quite honest, I don't remember many sermons uh, growing up that my pastor preached, but I do remember times around the altar. I do remember the anointing services when they would lay hands on us and pray for us. Listen, I know the modern day church doesn't go along with this kind of thing called anointing or laying hands on, but I really don't care. And the reason I don't care is because I believe what the Bible says. I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Every dot, every jot, every exclamation point is the inspired word of God. If you believe that, someone shout amen. amen. And I also believe in everything in it is directly from God, and I believe in the power of the anointing. And what happens when praying godly people lay hands on you, not pushing you over. God doesn't need our help. There's no reason to push someone over. But when they lay hands on you and they pray for you, something supernatural happens. And please understand, we don't do this out of religion. We do not do this out of tradition or a religious ritual. We do this because there's a real power that can take place in our lives and something special happens when praying men and women of God lay hands on you and anoint you with oil and call you out to be separate, to be sanctified. Throughout the history of the church, the church has been known as sanctified or separated out from the world. She did not look like the world, the church didn't act like the world, and the church didn't sound like the world. That is why people were drawn to her in the first place, because we were different from anything else they had seen in the world. And we've reached a time now in the history of our nation where the nation is now looking at the church and wanting us to be different from the world. They're asking us, is there answers to life? I also believe we need to get back to old-fashioned Bible-believing preaching because that's what this culture is missing. Can I get an amen with that? I want to show you what happened in the Old Testament, then tie it to modern day lives because the anointing makes the difference. 
The anointing makes the difference. Would you say that with me? The anointing makes the difference. Say it again. The anointing now let me give you an overview of Exodus 30, verses 22 through 33. Verse 22, moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, also take for yourself quality spices. Some translations say principal spices. Other translations say the best spices. Then God goes on to list five different kinds of spices they were to use. In verse 24, God gives the quantity of how much they are to use, and he says you are to take a hin of olive oil, that's six quarts of olive oil, and you are to put five ingredients into it. And then God says to Moses, this shall become the anointing oil. Verse 29, you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. Now, for those of you that are thinking, well, Pastor Randy, that was for them back then. Then God adds this in verse 31. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. Throughout the generations. God is saying, I want you to do this from generation to generation to generation. And as God dealt with natural Israel, he deals with us who are spiritual Israel. And this is how it applies to us. Verse 32, it shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it. In other words, I don't want a substitute. I want it to be the real thing. I don't know about you, but I want the real thing as well. How many say, Pastor, I want the real thing? I don't need any substitute for the anointing. And what I am very concerned about is that technology has become the alternative Holy Spirit in many of our churches. And God is saying, I don't want a substitute. I want the real thing. According to his com composition, it is holy, and it should be holy to you, verse 33, whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, some translations say stranger, shall be cut off from his people. Now that's God's instruction. When I started my ministry 32 years ago, and uh, this evening before we walked in, Jen reminded me, she goes, do you remember that uh, I was in one of your camps that you preached, Spencer Lake, and I was just a high school student? I said, that's not nice to remind me of. <laughs> but that's how long, 32 years now. And when I started my ministry, my uncle gave me a collection of three-ring binders that were filled with hundreds and hundreds of sermons from a man by the name of David Wilkerson. He pastored Times Square Church, not only one of the most amazing pastors of our time, but in my opinion, my humble opinion, a modern day prophet, a true prophet. And I devoured each and every one of those, and I still to this day will read them. I'll go into my office and I'll pull a binder down and just begin to read these messages that this man of God had wrote. One particular message early in my ministry stood out to me and it had a major impact on my life. And the title was, The Anointing Makes the Difference. The Anointing Makes the Difference. And how many of you know there is a difference between singing and anointed singing? There's a difference and a major difference between preaching and anointed preaching. 
There's a difference between having a church service and having an anointed church service. Because the anointing makes the difference. And with all due respect, I want to steal Brother Wilkerson's title because I believe that's what will make the difference in your life. The anointing makes a difference in your marriage, in your church, in your business. Listen, so many people, they have the misnomer and they think that the anointing is just for people in ministry. That couldn't be further from the truth. Because the anointing makes the difference in the marketplace. The anointing will make your personal giftings and the call of God on your life more powerful and more fruitful. Friends, no matter your vocation that God has called you to, not all of us are called to stand behind a pulpit. Not all of us are called to the ministry, but each and every one of us are called to the anointing. And what makes us effective, what makes us different, is the anointing. 1 John 2.20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. I call it the abiding anointing. The abiding anointing. The anointing abides with you. You receive it at salvation. And the anointing in you gives you an unction. It gives you a power. When the anointing comes on you, it quickens your mind. It causes you to have the ability to fulfill the calling of God in your life, no matter what that calling is. You might be a doctor, a lawyer, a truck driver, whatever it is, you have an anointing that abides. It's the very personality of the Holy Spirit that resides within you. The anointing gives you the unction. It gives you a power. Webster's Dictionary says the word anoint simply means to smear or to cover up or to rub on. And that's what we're going to do in just a moment to everyone who's longing for more of God in their life. When you say something is anointed, what you are actually making reference to is the power of God that you receive at salvation, that you received into your life, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is coming from within you, up on, up on, up on. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's getting ready to go, it's time for ministry. When it's time for ministry or to fulfill God's purpose in your life, you need the anointing. And suddenly when people say, there's something different. We didn't see you, we saw Jesus. That's the anointing. And that oil will have fragrance or a smell that will be a reminder to you. It's symbolic of the presence of the Holy Spirit coming on your life. It's amazing to me that God said that you are to take a hen of oil, which is about six quarts of olive oil, and mix it with five other ingredients and pour it over the head of Aaron and his sons. Now listen, we're not going to do that to you tonight, so don't panic. But you can imagine the symbolic message during the Old Testament times that they would literally pour six quarts of oil over the head of the priest. It wasn't just a little mercy drop from heaven or a little dab will do you. 
it wasn't just a little smear of, of, on the forehead of a dot or a little cross and then pat you on the back and send you on your way. No, they would pour six quarts of oil. And when you read Psalm 133, it tells us the oil poured down Aaron's hair, down his beard, onto his garments, all the way to his feet. In other words, he was drenched in the anointing. And I believe there's a need in the church for that kind of anointing. I thank God for the mercy drops. I thank God for the little mercy things from heaven. But friends, we are at a point in America and in the life of a nation that the end time church does not need mercy drops. Because we are not fighting smaller things, we are fighting bigger things than we've ever had to fight before, and there is an anointing that we need that Joel, the second chapter in the 28th verse says, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I believe God is calling you and me to be drenched in the anointing. And God is saying, I'm not just going to touch you or momentarily bless you. No, God wants there to be a saturation of his presence in your life. He wants the saturation of his presence in your home. When was the last time somebody walked into your home and stopped and looked around and said, there's something different here? And they're not talking about the furniture from Ikea. But they're saying, there's something electric in this house. There's, there's an atmosphere. There's a, there's a peace. There's, that's the anointing. And God wants us to be drenched in the anointing. It's just not for the fivefold ministry gifts that we read in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, where it says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. No, please don't make the mistake of limiting the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the power of God to the fivefold gift ministry is for every one of God's children. And he says, you have an anointing that abides. The abiding anointing. In Exodus 30, God says, you are to take five spices and you are to crush them because the anointing comes out of crushing. Oh, that's imperative. The anointing comes out of crushing. People have often asked me in 32 years of ministry, I want your ministry, I, I, I want what you have. They'll, ask, they'll say that to Pastor Scott Erickson, we want what you have. And I always look at them and say, really? Because the anointing comes out of breaking. The anointing comes out of that which is pounded. The anointing comes out of things that you have walked through yourself and you've never let go of the hand of the master. You see, just before Jesus went to the cross called Calvary, he went to the place called Olive Press. It's called Gethsemane. It's where they would press the olives to get the oil out. I find it amazing that he's led there to pray in a place where there would be a pressing. That the pressure was so great upon him that literally his forehead broke out, in, not in sweat, but in blood. And he said those famous words, Father, if there be any way that this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. Before you get a greater anointing, you're going to wish you never asked for the anointing. Because there will always be a Mount Moriah experience. Why do you think we are walking through a pandemic? 
Because the Holy Spirit wants you to have an end time anointing. An anointing that will satisfy the hurts and the pain. The anointing comes out of breaking. The anointing comes out of that which is pounded and been through something deep. The reason some people can't do anything is because they haven't been through anything. And if you do go through something, you give up halfway. Throw your hands in the air and say, well, this isn't for me. But friend, you have to hold on to Jesus because when you come out the other side, you will come out with something called the anointing, a greater measure of the personality of the Holy Spirit that's in and upon and moving in your life. I'm longing for the anointing. Oh, can somebody shout amen? Amen. I love the fact that in Exodus 33, God said, also take for yourself quality spices. Some translations say the principal spices. There's something about the anointing (laughs) that when it comes on you, it'll bring the best you have out of you. Oh, don't miss it, guys. You want to be the best you can be? Get the anointing. That's what the anointing does. It takes the dormant gifts and the abilities you have deep within you. And when God freshly anoints you, God brings the best out of you. The anointing brings the best worship out of you. The anointing brings the best abilities, the best giftings. If you are a teacher in the education system, every morning driving to work or logging on, Lord, I need the anointing. I need the personality of the Holy Spirit to rise from within me and rest upon me. Lord, you gave me my giftings, my abilities, everything I am, you gave to me, God. Now I'm longing for the Holy Spirit of God to rise within me. I want to offer back to God the best. I can be the best I can be whatever it is you are gifted to do it needs the anointing when the anointing is on you the best spices because God deserves our best and he wants the best out of you I also love the fact that God said when you anoint you are to have fresh oil listen to Psalms 92 and 10 but you have made me as strong as a wild ox you have anointed me with fresh oil fresh oil There's a lot of people in the church today who are operating in a stale anointing. They are stale in what God is doing in their life. They got stale praise, they got stale ministry because they are trying to operate on yesterday's oil. Something that happened a long time ago. Oh, you should have been back here, brother, in 1962. God was really moving. I wasn't even alive in 62. And there are, there are some people that they have more memories than dreams. They remember when the altars were filled. More memories than dreams. Memories are good. Dreams are better. I'm reminded of a story in 2 Kings 4, the widow 
olive oil, the wife of a man from the company of the prophet cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. In other words, here is a pastor who died, and now the pastor's wife is saying, we're in debt, we're in trouble, and they're coming to take our two sons as their slave, and the prophet tells her, go borrow some vessels. And there's only one qualification with the vessels. It didn't matter what color they were. It didn't matter what shape they were. It didn't matter what size they were. The only thing that mattered about the vessels was they had to be empty. That was the only qualification God gave. Emptiness. And God was saying, you make sure that you bring vessels that are empty, not that are full, not vessels that are satisfied, not vessels that think because I've got some stuff, I am full and spiritually mature. No, he said, bring me some emptiness. Bring me people that are desperate for me. Bring me some people that have all the blessings and they have all this stuff and yet they're hungry more for me. God is searching tonight for emptiness. And we need to take a closer look at the text of 2 Kings because when I read it, it really scared me. Because the prophet's instruction from God to the widow woman was, when the jars or vessels get full, set them aside. And I stopped dead in my tracks. Set them aside. I don't know about you, but that scares me. Because that tells me as a preacher that no matter how long I've been fasting and praying, no matter how long I've been in the ministry, 32 years, no matter how long I've been preaching and serving God, that if I ever approach God with the attitude, I'm full of yesterday's oil, I'm satisfied, all these other people, they need you, Lord, but I'm spiritually mature. I've heard it all, I've seen it all, I've done it all. I'm on my way to heaven, I'm cool, I'm full. That is the moment that God the Father instructs the Holy Spirit, take that vessel that is full and set them aside. In other words, stop pouring fresh anointing oil into that vessel. That scares me. And it should scare you too. That means you can be in church and develop a mentality that I'm full, I've seen it all, I've felt it all, I've experienced it all. And when you get that way, God says, okay, I love you, you still have value, but since you are full and satisfied, I'll just simply set you aside and take the oil that was meant for you and go look for somebody that's hungry for more of me. That's all right, I love you. I've got so much more for you, but if you're satisfied, friends, we better stay hungry. If I had another night, I would teach you a sermon that I just finished that I've entitled Last Day Lovers. And I know that sounds like a Motown R&B song. <laughs> Last day love, no, that's not what I'm talking about. See, 2 Timothy says, 
That in the last days, there'll be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, bold, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. And he gives us a long list. And when you look at that list on the surface, you all say, well, look at all the world and the culture. And it must be talking about the culture. The sad thing is, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 says that there'll be those who deny the power thereof. And you realize that Paul, writing his letter from a cold, damp, diseased, rat-infested jail cell, realizes he's about to die, and he's writing to Timothy, the associate pastor in Ephesus, about the last day's church. And he says, in the last days, Timothy, the church is going to be filled with lovers of themselves, people that are satisfied. We better stay hungry. As long as there was emptiness for the woman in 2 Kings, there was fresh oil. When they were full, he cut the oil off. As long as God can find someone empty, he would keep pouring his healing. He'll keep pouring his blessing. He'll keep pouring his miracles. This is why you fast. Because fasting is emptying of yourself. Over and over and over again, I'm so blessed, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for my home. I thank you, Lord, for my children, but I'm not satisfied. I want more of you. By an upraised hand, have me say, Randy, I want more of him. I've got to have more of him. God is looking for empty people. Tonight, God is not looking for important people. God is not looking for big buildings. That's the result of empty people. God is not looking for prestigious people. God is looking for empty people. So here's the question. Is there room in your life for him? Have you come hungry to make room for a miracle? God is speaking to the church. Are you satisfied? Be careful when you boast of having everything as though you have need of nothing. Jesus won't go into that church. He stands on the outside of the church of Laodicea that said we are rich and have increase of goods and have need of nothing. Look at my car, look at my house. Really? Really? There's a song we used to sing as a kid, and Pastor, you'll remember it. I remember my grandmother would walk around the house, and I've told you in years gone by that she had a little bun, you know, and remember when we used to all wear buns and we were in bondage. I, I, that was, I know, it's bad. They don't get any better. And grandma used to walk around the house and she would start to sing, and then she'd get tuned up, you know, and, and she would go from, from Spanish to English to a heavenly language. What many of you folks don't realize is Spanish is the heavenly language, but that's for another topic. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit is Puerto Rican. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> and she would walk through the house, and she would sing, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. And her little bun would hang down like a slinky beside her head, like... Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. And she was already in her late 70s, early 80s. 
She would cry out, oh, and hungrier more for God in her later years than she was in her younger years. I remember Gladys Pearson, she was a missionary in our church. She was sent home because she had severe arthritis. Her fingers were gnarled and twisted. Her legs were swollen. She had a hump in her back from severe arthritis. And she would come through the center doors of our church. And when she would come in, the atmosphere would change. And it's not like the presence of God wasn't there. No, no, he's there. It's just like the Holy Spirit picked up the remote control and turned up the volume. Have you ever been in a service where a choice vessel of God would walk in and the atmosphere would change? That's the result of desperation. That's the result of someone hungry for more of him. And she would come and she would lean against the pillar that held the balcony up and she would say, Holy Spirit, I'm coming. The Spirit is willing, but this old tired flesh is weak. And She'd get all the way down to the front, and if you were sitting there where he's sitting, she'd tap you on the shoulder and say, baby, can you help Mother Pearson pray? I haven't prayed today. And we all knew that Mother Pearson prayed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because she was operating in fresh oil. Fresh oil. And she would say, just take me to the far side and lay me on my face. Prostrate. The Greek word proskania, where we get our English word prostrate. Her flesh to the ground, her spirit soaring like an eagle, and there would come a sound out of her. It wasn't loud. It wasn't scary. It didn't draw attention to her. You almost had to go and, and lean your ear in. And the only reason I know it is because I'd be sitting in the back with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and we were in the fourth grade, fifth grade. True story, junior high school. And I'm, I'm writing on the back of the offering envelope, do you think I'm cute? Check yes. Oh, you remember those times? Yeah. And I'd be sitting way in the back back there where our former district superintendent in the Baptist rows back there. I see you back there. Cap, you got me so riled, I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Mother Pearson, she would get up and they would lay her on her face I could build a stronger doctrine, Pastor, on people falling voluntarily before God than falling backwards. And I would get up because there was a pull. Every fiber of my being would start to radiate. And I realized it's the anointing. It's the anointing, it's the personality of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the risen Savior flowing through a choice vessel. I've got to get there. I would run across the church, and I would lay down next to her to where my shoulder would be touching her shoulder, and I would hear her, oh, and I didn't understand. I said, Lord, what is this emotion that is so profound that there are no words to express it? 
And it wasn't until I got to SCC, now Vanguard University, that in one of my classes I learned that the Hebrew word for the word groan in our language means a yearning and a longing for more of the Christ. The Christ, the Christos, the anointed one with the anointing. Lord, forgive me for being satisfied with being full when I ought to stay empty. I'm talking about emptiness. Can you climb to 30, 40, 50 years serving God and still long for him more today than you did yesterday? And still cry out, now I need you, God, more than ever. I'm talking to leaders. I'm talking to pastors. I'm talking to worship teams and church leaders. And I'm saying, are you empty or are you full? Because the thing that causes God to set aside a church, a ministry, a person, the thing that causes God to set apart a family or set you aside is when you say, I'm full, I'm spiritually mature, I don't expect anymore, I don't dream anymore, I don't reach for anymore, I don't hunger anymore, I don't thirst anymore. God says, okay, if you're satisfied, I'll set you aside, and I will take what was rightfully yours, the new anointing I had for you, and I'm going to go find someone else and pour your anointing into their life. Because the fresh touch of the Holy Spirit when it comes, when it comes, when it comes. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes, there's a quickening, a freshness, a life-giving power to move ahead. When the Holy Spirit comes on your life, it's to come on your life to conquer new enemy strongholds. Strongholds are real, guys. They're distinct barricades against your future. Listen to me. Strongholds masquerade as personality traits. And you tell your wife, well, babe, that's just my personality. I'm, I get angry easy. No, that's your sin. You need the anointing. Well, babe, you haven't told me you love me in, in, a, in a month or two. Well, my dad didn't say anything. That's just the way our family does it. No, that's your sin. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. It's a stronghold in your life. How do I break it? The anointing. Friends, the anointing from God can do what other things cannot do. When the anointing of the Holy Spirit is here, it permeates the atmosphere. God's presence becomes tangible. When Mary brought her alabaster box and poured it on the feet of Jesus, it was most likely imported from Asia. One little drop would fill the whole room with fragrance, but she breaks the alabaster box and the whole room filled with fragrance. That's what happens when the anointing is there. The whole room becomes tangible. You can sense the presence of God. Everything in you realizes God, that the presence of the Holy Spirit is here. And when he is here, people are healed. Marriages are restored. Broken lives are made new. The anointing makes the difference. If you believe that, come on, clap your hands and praise him. The anointing makes a difference. 
In fact, we need to stop right here. And I just want you to lift your hands and take a praise break before I go on any further. And I want you to welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit into this room. I know he was here before, but I want you to lift your voice and cry out to God. If you're longing for the anointing, if you're longing for the personality of the Holy Spirit, I want you to begin right now to lift your voice and cry out to him. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Come on, people, church, don't stop. The anointing makes a difference. The anointing makes the difference. We praise you, Lord. Father, we ask you right now to come from within us, upon us. Buckle our knees with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Heal our bodies, Lord. Heal the pandemic, Father. Begin to give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding that our children might flow under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God. Somebody begin right now to say, Holy Spirit, anoint my son. Call them by name. Anoint my daughter. Call them by name. We praise you, Lord. Verse 32, it says, It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it. What it's speaking about here is I try to close this for you. Romans 8, 5 says, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh cannot please God. Galatians 3.3, how foolish can you be? (laughs) After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own effort? What happens to some people is they get a little age and Christian maturity, possibly a little experience in their walk with God. They began in the spirit and they began saying, Lord, I need you to start my business. Lord, I, I, we really need you, Lord, to help us get going. And then by God's grace and mercy, he blesses you and you forget who gave you the blessing. Or when you're first getting married and you're standing before each other and everything's so perfect and, oh, this is wonderful and the clothes are perfect and the flowers are perfect and the music is perfect and, oh, we're just so, everything is perfect. God made this perfect day. Yes, God did make that perfect day, but the same God that made that perfect day also makes earthquakes (laughs) and tornadoes. And when we go through difficult times, we forget that. And as you get older, you just learn how to do things. The Apostle Paul says, having begun in the spirit, are you now foolish to think that you can make it on your own? And there are some of you, and there's a lot of people listening to me that started out in the spirit, but now you're just doing your own thing. You started out leaning on the ministry. You started out with with God in your business. You were connected to the anointing and connected to the spirit. You realized you couldn't do it on your own, but now because of God's grace and mercy, you're leaning on the arms of the flesh, on your own intellect. And Paul says, are you stupid to think you can do it on your own? His exact words were, are you foolish enough to think you can do it without God? For the Bible says, cursed is the man who leans to the arm of the flesh. 
Isaiah 30 says, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out a plan that is not mine, who form an alliance but against my will, heaping sin upon sin. John 6 and 63, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit of life. So the eternal question is, how do I get the anointing? You hunger and thirst for God. You spend time on your knees. There's no shortcuts to the anointing. And a great place to start is right here in this altar. When the anointing comes, it changes your life. I love the saying in closing in 1 Samuel 6.13 where it says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, being David, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord, the anointing, came powerfully on David. Wouldn't it be great when we pray for you that the Spirit of the Lord and the anointing of God would come upon you? From this day forward, you look at your family and say, I'll never fight without the anointing again. God's given each of us a gift. I know God's anointing is upon me. I want our musicians to come because we're going to begin to pray and lay hands on your children. Early childhood parents, please go to the classroom to pick up your children from the early childhood and bring them in. We want to anoint them as well. The first to the fifth graders are about to come through this door. Our Christian education teachers are about to bring them in. So parents, if you see your kids come through the door, I'm going to ask you to come and stand with them. And I want all of us to begin to pray. Lord, that I would stay empty. How do I stay empty, Pastor? You keep pouring out. Lord, that I'll be used of God. There's another song, Brother Bill, that we used to sing. To be used of God. <laughs> to be used of God. To show someone the way. I long so much to feel the touch of his consuming fire. To be used of God is my desire. What's your desire tonight? I'm going to ask you right now as they begin to play softly, to stand to your feet, to lift your hands and begin to say, Lord, I'm asking you to change position from within me upon me. I need the anointing. I need it. If you're longing for the anointing of God, I want you right now to lift your voice and just say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Look this way. In verse 33, whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, some translations say a stranger, should be cut off from this people. Listen to this, what I, what I got to tell you when it comes to the anointing. A stranger. You say, well, what is that talking about? People who once walked with God and now have walked away from him and they're no longer in harmony with God. You become a stranger to God. Because many will say, Lord, Lord, do we not do great things in your name? He'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. We never came into that relationship. 
I'm going to ask our pastoral staff to put on their mask and bring your wives and come stand down front with Pastor Tom. And I want you to stand all across the front of this church because we're getting ready to anoint. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come on this oil for healing, for the casting out of every sickness, every disease, every fear, every doubt, every worry, every oppression, every depression. Lord, I'm asking you right now that you would literally begin to transform a generation of teenagers into warriors for God. Lord, that you would rest on our children as they go to the liberal schools of America, as they walk on our campuses, Lord, in college. Guard their minds and guard their spirits, Lord. Protect them, Father. Lord, I pray that our sons and daughters would become more of a threat to hell than hell is a threat to them. May the anointing of the Holy Spirit rise inside of them, God. Yes, sir. In the name of Jesus.